Hello, and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State football podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? Uh, going well. Probably not as well as you, though. You're all clean cut today, got a haircut. I feel like death after that Iowa trip. But, but hey, it's good to be here. You know, good to have uh, another exciting week of football. That's right. Got to look fresh for whiteout week. You know, going to be going to be out and about this week. Uh, we should have a busy week ahead of us, as I'm sure you know Penn State will, too, prepping for this Michigan team. Uh, of course, coming off of a game that was uh, interesting, to say the least, against Iowa. Uh, let's start this off. Where I'm sure if you say interesting, I automatically, I think you're going to talk about the officiating. Yeah. We're specifically John O'Neill. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's any reason to beat around the bush on this one. Uh, of course the infamous call in 2012 with Matt Lehman getting called for a fumble crossing the goal line was clearly a touchdown. The Von Bell interception that wasn't actually an interception in 2014. That happened to some, uh, I believe some technical errors that they had in the press box that year. That's what they initially attributed it to, but I've, well, and then you have the 2014 against Ohio State as well. Uh, Ohio State kicked the field goal when the play clock had been expired for several seconds. Um, uh, I could be mistaken, but I believe um, they initially said they couldn't replay it uh, because they didn't have the right you know, replay review or ESPN's trucks were down. But uh, they could have looked at it another way. They initially said they weren't allowed to, but I think upon further review it was, oh, yeah, after all, they, they could have gone another route to, to, to see this. So. Uh, regardless, you know, the, uh, the TLDR, you know, the too long didn't read, the, the, the summing it up is, yeah, uh, Penn State's been screwed over before, and it just so happens that this same referee has, has been involved. Now, I, I subscribe to Hamlin's razor, you know, uh, that which can be, you know, attributed to stupidity or incompetence uh, instead of malice. Well, it's, it's usually just the incompetence. Uh, but, you know, I certainly think Penn State, you know, fans have a gripe here. But I'm sorry, I'll kick it back to you before I get too, uh, you know, too <laughs> sprout here because we need to set it up a little bit. I'm sure fans know about what happened Saturday, but goodness gracious, yeah. what a play. Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, I'm with you. This is – I don't think there's any malice intended here. But the main play we're talking about here is uh, Pat Frymuth catches a pass – Dives for the end zone and what appears to have appears to have a clear touchdown. I don't, you know. Does it still have to say appear? I mean, he, he yeah, had a clear touchdown. Yeah, he had a clear touchdown. I, of course, was not at the game. I was watching on TV. And they showed the replay four or five times, and my opinion never changed. As a matter of fact, you had tweeted something, and I responded to you about going for two in that situation. It makes sense. I think we had both thought, oh, this is – uh, this is going to be a touchdown no matter what. There's no way that they're they're going to overturn this. There's One, it looks like a touchdown. Two, even if it doesn't look like a touchdown, it was called one on the field. There's no way they're going to yeah, overturn yeah. it. The ball was about halfway over, uh, over the uh, end line there to get into the end zone. And lo and behold, they announced it's overturned. And and my jaw dropped. I was stunned. I, and I mean, you, you, I'm sure you saw the things I said on Twitter that it was baffling. It was, I mean, it's, it's incompetence too, like you said. Uh, and it was just – it was an egregious mistake that I don't understand how it got made. Uh, there were several people involved in the decision-making process. I don't know how all of them came to this conclusion, this wildly wrong conclusion. But here we are. And kudos to James Franklin for not saying anything because I know uh, – See, I thought that was worth the fun. Take the 10K for him. That's like a <laughs> half day's of work, you know, half day's work. Like, take the fine, man. Say your piece. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying there. I just, you know – I think it takes a special level of control not to say anything <laughs> there because it's so egregious. I know I would have lost it. I mean, there's no well, way I, I would have maintained it. I certainly hope that Penn State won in the end. And, and I'll be honest, I mean, you know, right after that play and we saw them settle for a field goal, I, I mean, I think the feeling throughout the stadium and, you know, certainly in the press box was, 
oh man, I mean, you know, that is as deflating as it gets. You cross the goal line three times, you have it called back, you know, two because of holding penalties, one because of a touchdown that was disallowed that shouldn't have been disallowed. It's, it's like, oh, that's the turning point of the game. Penn State can't come back from that mentally or emotionally. That's just too sapping. And the fact that they were able to, honestly, uh, you know, to me was, was, you know, a little bit unexpected. I mean, they had the lead, but at that point, you know, that series of plays, I thought all the momentum went to Iowa's side. I mean, you know, getting th- Penn State getting three points was the best thing to happen to Iowa in that game. But, you know, Penn State was able to hold on. Um, you know, Noah Kane, you know, had obviously a big part in that. And, yeah, I mean, this – to me, I think this is, this is like the pit game in 2016 that really spurred Penn State to have that great season. I mean, this gave players uh, a newfound confidence. It was – uh, talking to the players after the game, you kind of sensed that, you know, this was a special win for them. So the fact that they were able to come, overcome such an atrocious, awful, terrible, incompetent, pathetic call, I think says a lot about this team. Yeah, and in a 10-6 lead there, uh, it's funny, I kind of felt like Penn State was losing at that point. Uh, you know, watching the game, you see it, and it's it's like, oh, this game's in Iowa's hands now, that they had to settle for three there. It felt inevitable that Iowa was going to come back and win the game. I actually had started – I mean, you know, as you know, we write a turning point here for every game. I had started writing a turning point about how that blown call was going to cost Penn State the game. Lo and behold, they, uh, they maintained focus and get the win there, and, and a, a huge win, really, because it was, it was the game that I had sort of pinpointed for this three-game stretch that is the most likely loss, I think, uh, especially – and we'll talk about the Michigan game here in a bit, but – I think I think they have a, a real shot at going undefeated into Ohio State now. It'll be interesting well, to see. Be favored from here on out, sir. Yeah, absolutely. And and now Minnesota looks like a tougher test than uh, yeah. could be originally thought. But I think that's still a pretty clear win. Uh, and I and I don't see a ton of obstacles in the way now moving forward. Now that they've overcome this, like you said, the momentum it sort of gives you to the confidence um, that you can sort of overcome everything. Uh, of course, the, the the main point of that is uh, Sean Clifford, who hasn't always looked confident out there and didn't start this game. I don't think he would he fooled anyone at the beginning. He looked scared. Uh, I don't think there's any way around that. He was he was panicking in the pocket. He was running into his own lineman. He was getting sacked because he was basically running into the sacks. Uh, it was it was a bad start to the game. So let's let's talk about Cliff a little bit here. And what did you think of his performance? And, and where do you think he goes from here? And what does he get out of it? Yeah, I thought there was good and bad aspects to that. Number one, uh, if I remember correctly, Iowa has a top 15 passing defense. I want to say they're, they're ranked number 13. So, I mean, this is the toughest test that, that he's seen yet this season. And certainly the stats weren't incredible. You know, 50% completion percentage, you know, a little less than 120 yards. Um, and absolutely, KJ Hamler even admitted after the game that, yeah, you know, he seemed a little panicky back there in the pocket. It took him a little while to relax. But you know, we saw glimpses. He, he turned it on when he needed to. And, you know, to me, the most the most positive thing to come out of that for Clifford was the fact that he had zero turnovers. And there was one play, I can't remember what Iowa defender it was, but he's chasing him from behind. And you see Cliff, you know, having one hand on that ball. And you thought for sure, two seconds before that tackle, you're like, well, here comes a fumble. I mean, there is no way he's able to hold on to this, but somehow he was able to. So he avoided the mistakes, didn't throw an interception. And you know, in the end, that was the difference in this game. Penn State scored 10 points off of Iowa's turnovers. And, and obviously, Penn State didn't turn it over at all. So, if, if Sean Clifford does cough it up there, I mean, you know, we could be having a much, much different conversation. So, see, so yeah, I think it's just like with anything. I mean, this was really his first true road test 
of his career, you know, as a starter. And, you know, while he wasn't perfect, I, I, it's not as if, you know, it's like, oh, you know, sell, sell, sell on Clifford, hit the panic button. He's not who we thought he was. I think he's shown that, you know, he's the right quarterback. And Tommy Stevens was just benched. I mean, yep. Tommy Stevens stays. I, I think, you know, we've seen how he's played. We've seen how Clifford plays. Clifford is clearly the better quarterback. And not only that, that I know he didn't have a great game against Iowa, but you look at what other quarterbacks are in the Big Ten, Sean Clifford, I mean, on paper is 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 the third best. I mean, he I, I think I would take Clifford right now. Uh, I mean, you'd maybe take him second, third, or fourth if we had a quarterback draft in the Big Ten. I mean, so he's imperfect, but still better than most. Yeah, and I think the important thing here is, is he didn't have to go out and win the game for Penn State this past weekend. He had to go out and not lose it. Sometimes against teams, you had just have to be a game manager. And, of course, you want a quarterback that will go out and win you everything. But when you're a young guy like Clifford is, and it's your first real test of a game, you're really okay with him just going out and being a game manager. And that's, that's honestly what he wants most of the game, and that's okay. Like you said, he took care of the ball. That is vital for this team. That's vital for any team facing Iowa. Uh, that defense is ravenous, especially when they're at home. Uh, I mean, you can see it all night long that they were giving Penn State issues. Uh, of course, the, the Penn State defense, I think, like you mentioned, those turnovers that they got, that swung the game in Penn State's favor. And, and honestly, it feels like the defense won them this game and is probably going to win them quite a few more games this year. And, and that defense is incredible. I mean, we all knew heading into this season that this was an elite defense, but I'm still surprised by, you know, just how good it's it's been. I mean, the pass rush in the first half against Pitt wasn't there, but then they still end up leading, you know, the, the nation in sacks, uh, you know, two, three weeks later. I mean, this is – it really is incredible to me, you know, just – how they can – just how intense they play. And, I mean, I think their third team or second team defense could – I mean, geez, I think I would take Penn State's second team defense over probably half the Big Ten's first team. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment at this point. And you really see it in the front four. And I, I have said in recent weeks that the front four hasn't lived up ex to expectations. Of course, that was before, I believe. Uh, you know, after Are you changing Maryland, your I mind? Is that oh, what I mean, is? I, if I didn't change my mind, I would be a moron at this point. Uh, which, again, don't discount that. I either. was going to say, we could put you alongside <laughs> the, the moron bench with uh, – uh, what's his name? With uh, Mr. O'Neill. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, the, it, it appears that list is growing longer as the season grows. We've got Pat Narduzzi. We've got John O'Neill. We've oh, got yeah. Dave Peterson. Oh, Thanks yeah. Just, this is some of the most questionable, like, yeah, you know, calls and decisions, you know, we've ever seen in a season. Narduzzi going for the field goal, O'Neill and the – the non-touchdown. And Dave Peterson sending letters. Which, oh, well, I mean, he belongs on a separate <laughs> bench. It's a pretty, a pretty stupid bench nonetheless. But no, the, the, the defense has been remarkable, and I think that front four is a huge part of that. They're, they're emerging after Maryland. The front four struggled against Maryland to generate pressure. Uh, but then after that, Purdue, they played well. Uh, and then they go into Iowa and, and dominate. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Rob Windsor was in Nate Stanley's face most of the game. Uh, and, you know, the turning point of the game for me was when Windsor got in his face once again and forced that interception yeah, after, I'm with you. after another bad call by John O'Neill and his crew where they call pass interference on John Reed and it didn't look like he touched him. Maybe their hands were on each other coming out of the break, but there was clearly no push or anything. Uh, it, was, it was really another baffling call that got overlooked because of the more baffling call that they had made. Uh, but, yeah, the, that, you know, that pick sort of gave Penn State some momentum and, and they desperately needed it. Uh, and, and like I said, Windsor was, I mean, he was unreal. He was, he was in the backfield all night long. 
Uh, it looked like Iowa kept trying to pull its guards and centers on run plays, and Penn State's defensive line was was seeing that, and instead of falling for the trap, they were getting upfield quick enough to just blow up the play, which is, I mean, it's a level of explosiveness you don't see often among defensive linemen, especially defensive tackles, to beat those traps uh, and to beat those pulling guards. But but they did it time and time again, and it's it's really impressive. You know, this is a this is a very good front four who might be the best in the country. And I don't, I mean, there are obviously plenty of great front fours in the country, Alabama. Top five, easily. Yeah, and, and but I, I think there's a legitimate argument for number one here uh, with the production we've seen. It'll be really interesting to see what it can do. I mean, that Iowa offensive line is very good, too, as we know. Uh, and they just tore them to shreds, of course, missing a starting guard for that game. Uh, but we'll see how good they are this week against Michigan. We'll, they'll get another test against Ohio State down the line. But, yeah, this this defensive line looks like it's capable of carrying a team. And it's not alone either. It's got a, The rest of the defense is almost just as good. Yeah, I'll, I'll, two things, uh, you know, building off of that. One, important point of clarification with Rob Windsor. Um, I was able to ask him after the game. If you might remember from the HBO show on Wednesday, he asked the waitress for three fish sandwiches. And I had to ask John, as a big guy who likes food, <laughs> did you really eat three fish sandwiches? The answer, yes. Yes, he did, but he had him put them on one plate. So if you were curious like me, is if he is, is he joking around? No, he wasn't. But the boy can put down food, but you know, he'll use like, you know, lettuce as, you know, the wrap instead of bread. And I guess that's been a huge, huge Part of the reason he's as dominant as he is now, uh, uh, fellow defensive tackle P.J. Mustafer was actually talking about that earlier today, is, you know, because he really takes his diet seriously, makes sure, you know, what he's putting in his body. You know, he's there to cultivate, you know, muscle, you know, not fat. And, you know, he has really come on strong here. I mean, he was he was all Big Ten last year. You know, I, I, he was he was certainly overlooked. But, I mean, this year, I, I mean – that was definitely a hey, notice me game for Robert Windsor. Uh, you know, Gil Brandt, the former NFL exec, said he was the number five senior defensive tackle heading into this season. Uh, Windsor said he wanted to be number one by the end of the season, and, and he certainly bumped himself up. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's been, he's been phenomenal. And, you know, as a guy who's a big guy who hasn't been a great pass rusher, that's really where he's made his hay this year. Uh, he's been he's been phenomenal as a pass rusher, blowing up plays from the interior, and that makes things that much easier for guys on the outside, like Etor Gross, Matos, and Shaka Tony. When the the pocket is collapsing in on a quarterback because the interior of the line is also breaking it down, uh, it, it really is. You know, it's it's vital to a defense's success, and and when you have it, it can put you over the edge from a you know a a great a great defense to an elite defense into a you know a, a top number one defense in the country uh and uh you know great to elite seems to be a thing for penn state well they've got it now in the defense uh of course there's there was also a i don't want to call him a breakout star because you know he was good against purdue too and he's been good all year but noah kane did it again offensively and the depth chart came out yesterday, and once again, he was among the four oars. And I understand that, yeah. that it's generally just the last game starters listed out there uh, on the depth chart uh, for Penn State when they release it. But you have to think at this point, he's got to be the guy, you know, moving forward. They'll still rotate everyone in, but he's got to get 15-plus touches a game. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I was high on Noah Kane before the season. You really liked Devin Ford. I really liked Noah Kane. And um, you know, certainly was, was back and forth early in the year. I don't think there's any doubt right now that the best overall running back, if, if someone tomorrow said, listen, you can only keep one of these running backs, the other three you have to release to the transfer portal, you pick Noah K. Um, but 
with Penn State, you, you never really know what you're going to get. I mean, you know, we thought Noah Kane kind of proved himself, you know, before this game, and they still didn't start out with him. He only saw, I think, what, one drive in the first half? Yep, and I believe it was uh, the third <coughs> drive of the game. Or it might have been the second drive of the game. Either way, it wasn't the first one. Yeah, I, and one thing they want to do with Noah Kane is essentially he's the running back in the four-minute offense. Last, you know, the, the last part of the game, um, James Franklin said after Pitt they made that mistake where they didn't play Noah Kane enough in the final quarter. And I don't think that's going to be uh, a mistake again for the rest of the season or really for the, the rest of Kane's career. Um, he is the four-minute back. I think he's going to see the most time. He's going to continue to see the most carries. But will he start the game? I don't know. I mean, last year – I mean, look at, look at Micah Parsons last season, for example. This is just kind of Penn State's mindset. Was Micah Parsons better than Koa Farmer? I mean, dear God, yes. I mean, Koa Farmer – you know, had moments where he was good, but I mean, Micah could run circles around him, but Koa continued to get the start over Micah. And it wasn't a matter of who's better. Everyone knew, you know, the farther on the season, but you know, that I guess to an extent, the freshmen need to pay their dues. And, you know, again, Kane is still going to see plenty of playing time. I just don't know if he's going to start drive one. Yeah. And I think that's important too, that it's, it's not, it's not really about who starts these drives anyways. I think who finishes it might be more important uh, in the long run. And like you said, he's going to be the back for the four-minute offense when they're trying to run clock. Uh, I do think, though, that, that it, it still is a clear top two. It is a clear top one, um, <laughs> most certainly, with, with Kane. But I think, I think Ford is also the clear-cut number two now. Uh, and I, You say I, that every week. I'm still yeah, not. I'm I, still not. Like, like I, I get what you're saying. I think he is, he's definitely got a higher ceiling than Journey Brown. I'm just not ready to say right now, put Ford in ahead of Brown. Yeah, see, my thing is, you see some of those runs that, that Noah Kane has, those, those fall-forward runs. He, my, my biggest issue with Kane, too, is he does lack explosiveness. Uh, you know, you don't, he, he's not going to break many big plays because of that. Uh, but like you said, he's always going to fall forward. He's always going to get you yardage. Uh, with Devin Ford, there's some of that explosive, explosiveness and some of that falling forward, you know, getting a few extra yards uh, here or there. He's, he's usually not getting beat in the backfield, and if he does, you know, it's, it's not on him. Uh, I, he's, he's still been really, really impressed with me. I wish they would try to get the ball in his hands more and let him just go to work because he is a playmaker in that sense. He can, he can make guys miss. He can make things happen in the open field. We're just not seeing him get a ton of touches. And I still stand by what I said, you know, earlier in this year, uh, I, I think it's him and him and Kane, uh, at the end of the year, the clear cut top two and who knows what happens with Brown and Slade. But, uh, I think it's been made clear to this point that Kane's the number one. Uh, Ford should be the number two and, and you know the other two don't matter that much I mean you maybe let Journey Brown return kicks or punts if you want to save uh, KJ Hamler a little bit but you know they're, they're not a big part of the team right now on offense and they're not they're not producing enough to do anything and uh, I'll be interested to see how they handle that moving forward if those guys are still getting a major role in this offense when uh, there's not a ton that they provide that Ford and Kane can't do on their own. Yeah what's interesting with with Ford and Kane is you know, Noah Kane's the type of running back you want back there if you're going to have a 15-play, 85-yard drive that eats up seven minutes. You know, Devin Ford's the guy who, you know, three plays, you know, 75 yards, you know, a minute and a half. Um, and that's what's interesting about Penn State because, I mean, if you look against Iowa, Iowa, Iowa was not going to give up the big play. I think the longest play Penn State had was 22 yards on the K.J. Hamler touchdown, and they didn't have any um, – <clears throat> longer than that and the reason why Penn State was able to succeed is because they had those sustaining drives thanks to Noah Kane especially how Kane performed in the second half so you know with Penn State it's interesting if you try to stop the 
the big play, Noah Kane's going to get his yards. If you try to, you know, bottle up, you know, try to stop the run, they're going to go for the big play. So, you know, to have a multidimensional offense like that, that can, you know, hurt you a lot of different ways now. I mean, that was just, it's just critical, critical, critical for me, for them to have a player like Noah Kane. And again, he's, he's a true freshman. Uh, You know, they've got a lot of talented players there and the longer we go, you know, I don't mean to rain on everybody's parade, but I mean, you got to think one of these running backs, you know, moves on to the transfer portal at the end of the year. I mean, you know, I, I know that the coaching staff likes to say that everybody's happy for each other, but you know, this isn't Candyland where, you know, no one has their self-interest in mind either. I mean, you know, all of these guys want carries and when you've got full running backs, someone's not going to get, someone's not going to get enough. And especially when you've got a guy emerging too at the top. Yeah. And, and, and all that being said, I mean, quite frankly, it doesn't matter who leaves at the end of the year, you know, they're still going to be fine. I mean, they still have a bunch of young talent. They have a lot of recruits in the wings. I mean, this is one position for Penn state that is set up really well for a really long time. Um, you know, having Saquon Barkley and then Miles Sanders. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're going to get a lot of kids just growing up idolizing these former Penn state guys. And, you know, this has fast become a, a destination for, for running backs. Uh, assistant coach Tyler Bowens, you know, said last February, this is RBU and okay. All right. Maybe a bit of a hyperbole, bit of an exaggeration, but I mean, I think it certainly is if it hasn't already become a destination for some of the nation's top high school running backs. Yeah, and they've got a guy coming in too next year in Keziah Holmes that almost perfectly replaces the skill set that Ricky Slade provides, which I think is very interesting and it's sort of something to, to keep an eye on an all-purpose back that can do it all with the, the ball in his hands uh, and split out wide a little bit. Like I said, he's just well, he could, so could Ricky. Why? I would like to know why they don't just. Yeah, it's it's honestly, I'm surprised we haven't seen more two-back sets at this point. There's so many things you can do uh, to keep a defense honest. Like you said, when they have a bunch of guys in the box, if you go to a two-back set and you run a you know an RPO where the the run is a a, a handoff to Noah Kane and the the pass is a swing to to Devin Ford as he swings outside, then then you've got, you know what I mean, you've got this, the linebacker's got to keep his eyes on both of them. If he crashes down on Kane, who's about to go up the middle, you pull it out and uh, toss it to Ford on the outside on the swing route. If he goes outside with Ford, then you, you know what I mean, hand it off to Noah Kane, and you've got that big advantage there. Uh, again, I don't understand why we're not seeing more two-back sets. Maybe they just haven't had enough time to practice them. Uh, I mean, too. I mean, you have two true freshmen. Devin right. Ford, you know, just joined the team in, what, July? I so, July. yeah, you know, there, there, there's not a lot of time to to try to get you know, everything down, you know, I, I certainly get that. I mean, even Ricky Slade, who, you know, we thought the air, you know, was the airplane, you know, he's a sophomore, you know, so there's, you know, there's a lot of growth left, you know, in this, this, this position group. But I mean, if you look at this position group and you're not optimistic about the future, I don't know what you're looking at. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is going to be the, the star of the offense likely for the next three years. Uh, these running backs, I don't, I don't just mean, no, I mean, all of them, you know, for the next three years, uh, we should be seeing great things out of them. Uh, I think it's it's important too to to touch on a guy again that you and I have been critical of in the past, and I thought did well this past week, and that's Ricky Ronnie, uh, especially the the audible to a toss on the, the final touchdown of the game to Noah Kane was uh, perfect. Uh, Iowa's linebacker had slid inside. I saw that made the audible, and then they when they make the audible, the the linebacker continues to slide further inside, and they have the easy touchdown for for Kane to you know get to the edge because the linebacker has no chance to get to him. Uh, that's a that's a game-winning play that he called there. And, and credit where credit's due, uh, 
again, this is a game that you need a game manager. You don't need to blow it up with huge plays. And they just let Clifford manage the game. They let him try and get the ball to his playmakers underneath. Didn't take too many shots, didn't risk a lot, and just played smart, safe football offensively and came away with a win because of it. Yeah, and one thing I'll say, too, before this season, you know, we all kind of wondered aloud, did Franklin make the wrong decision by not <laughs> promoting, you know, Josh Gaddis over Ricky Ronnie? And <clears throat> now that we're about halfway through the season, I think we can say beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, James Franklin made the right decision here. Yeah, I don't think it's particularly close either. We've seen Michigan struggle so much on offense. Uh, it's funny, the change you usually see a coordinator make is if they're in the booth, they come down to the field. If they're on the field, they go up to the booth to try and just switch something up to get it to work. And, of course, that's something Gaddis did. I believe it was after they lost to Wisconsin. He came down on the field and has been since then uh, to call plays. But they, I mean, they just try to run the ball so much unsuccessfully. They're deep. They take Which a lot is of amazing because they have a great interior offensive line, too. I mean, maybe the best interior offensive line in the Big Ten. Yep, and, and, and well, uh, Wisconsin too. But. Yeah, it's always going to be Wisconsin if we're being honest. But uh, the the run game was is non-existent at this point. I, I think Charbonnet like something like thirty three for one hundred and fourteen against. Yeah, I think Army. they would they would take any one of Penn State's four running backs, and he would immediately you know be the starter. I would take Penn State's RB four over Michigan's RB one. Yeah, I'm with you, and and it's a it's an offense that it it seems like it's feast or famine, uh, and if they miss on a deep shot, then the drive's going to end. And, if, of course, if they hit on the deep shot, then they tend to struggle in the red zone, too. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Gaddis can cook up against his former team. Uh, you know, a lot of guys that he knows on that staff and on the field, too. Uh, this, this is going to be a game that's very familiar for him and a place that's very familiar with the whiteout in this environment, one that he's coached in multiple times and uh, had success here as a, a wide receivers coach and now struggling quite a bit uh, at Michigan. Uh, like you said, I think it seems pretty clear that the early returns say that, that – James Franklin made the right call in going with Ricky Ronnie, who seems to be growing exactly how you would want a second-year coordinator to grow. And, and as long as he continues to grow and get better, then he's got all the makings of a, a great offensive coordinator. He seems smart enough to adjust uh, uh, something we didn't see last year. Again, these changes he's making are so crucial to his development as a coordinator, and he's making them. And I think that matters. And Again, for as, as critical as you and I were, he's doing all of the things that we said that he needed to do this year to take that step. See, I want <clears> – excuse me. It's that Motel 6 mold, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Uh, don't stay at the Motel 6, uh, Cedar Rapids. But uh, anyway, with the, I wonder if there aren't some hurt feelings, uh, you know, between Penn State and, and Josh Gaddis. And, you know – don't get me wrong, James Franklin has said all the right things when Gaddis's name has, has come up, but when you look at it, when Josh Gaddis left, you know, essentially that, that, that kind of, you know, mixed thing, messed things up a little bit for Penn State because all of a sudden then they had an extra, you know, opening on the coaching staff. So that's when they, they promoted David Corley, who was the running backs coach, to wide receiver. And we all know how that went last season. Penn State was among the worst teams in the nation when it came to drops despite having an incredibly talented core of receivers. And, you know, granted, the, the plus side was they were able to then go and get J1 Sider, who, you know, is, is probably going to be with Penn State until he takes a coordinator job or you know, maybe even a head coaching job somewhere. I mean, he is a very, very good coach. He was a very, very good get. But uh, talking to K.J. Hamler Saturday night, <clears throat> someone asked him, you know, are you looking forward to, to seeing your old, you know, receivers coach again? And – you know, before that question, K.J. Hamler was, you know, he was bubbly. He was happy. It was a big win. He had a great game. He was talking about his leap. And he just got gets quiet, and he 
he just glances up at the reporter and just stone-faced next question you know and then looks back down and you know like literally someone then asked another question and he was fine but they weren't touching that question uh no receiver who was around during the Gattis era is available to the media this week. Um, so, you know, it is kind of interesting, you know, moving forward, that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting response to that question because it's a, it's a relatively harmless question, uh, just, you know, talking about a coach that used to coach him and, and, so, and, and honestly recruited him to, to Penn State. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Michigan's offense is probably going to decide this game uh, whether or not they have a chance. Uh, I, I've said this before. I don't think this game's particularly close Saturday. Uh, I, I think the, the spread for this one is way off. I think I saw it at nine and a half in favor oh, of Penn State. I thought eight and a half. Maybe it jumped up. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see it, honestly. I, I, <coughs> well, what do you see then? I mean, I think, this is, I think this looks a lot like two years ago when Michigan came in for the whiteout against Penn State. You see an offense jump them early. The, the Michigan offense can't respond because it's not good enough. Shea Patterson buckles under pressure and doesn't play well. Uh, and, you know, you see a big Penn State win. I'm, and I mean, big as in, like, we could see this a 28-point game. Like, I don't, I don't think that's crazy at all, 42-14, something in that range. Well, uh, well, let me ask you, though. I mean, what, what – I guess my big thing is how do you see Penn State scoring, you know, four touchdowns? Obviously, they, they struggled offensively against Iowa. You know, it's not as if Michigan is that much worse defensively than Iowa. I'm sure, you know, some – I think, what, in Bill Connolly's rankings, they have Michigan ranked. You know, above Iowa. So, you know, what do you see that, you know, 17 points against Iowa, but at least 28 against Michigan? Yeah, I think if had Penn State played Iowa in at Penn State, that that game swings a different direction, too. I think, again, and I, I'm not one to believe in just the, you know, the, the crazy things that can happen, but there is something about Kinnick. I mean, it's we've seen this time and time again, that stadium can change things in a, in a way a game will go. Uh, and I just think this Penn State team comes out motivated, beats, beats Michigan deep a couple of times. Uh, they go to those big plays a little more than they did against Iowa because they sort of know that they, you know, it, it's, there's this idea that if, if you're down against Iowa, you're sort of backed into a corner if you're at Kinnick and, and you're clawing and scratching trying to get out of it. Uh, it <coughs> if you're at home, you don't have to treat it that way. If you get down against Michigan at home, you're still very much in the game. If you throw a pick, you're still very much in the game. The crowd's not going to pounce on you like, like it would at Kinnick, obviously a home crowd won't pounce on you at all in those situations. They're going to continue to back you. And, and the environment, I think, plays a big role. These are, after all, you know, 18 to 23-year-old kids that we're talking about playing the game. Uh, but, yeah, I think the environment has a huge impact on that. I think the uh, – the honestly, Michigan's offense is probably worse than Iowa, uh, which is saying something because Iowa couldn't move the ball at all. But Michigan's play calling has been so abhorrent that they, they can't do anything. Uh, they're not creative. They're generally running it up the middle, and if you're running it at Rob Windsor and Yitor Grossmatos up the middle on third down on draws, like I mean, Michigan has a terrible rushing offense this season, yep. and yeah, I, I don't know how they get anything started. I mean, offensively, this has to fall on Shea Patterson's shoulders, no? Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's why another reason for Penn State to uh, score a lot this game is they're going to have short field positions. The, Shea Patterson is prone to making mistakes. He's I don't think he's particularly good. Uh, he's probably going to struggle on Saturday. And I think we see Penn State's defense sort of uh, take advantage of that, get some turnovers, get a lot of pressure on him in the backfield, uh, get short fields for the offense. Uh, and then soon enough, it's 21 to seven. It's, it's, you know, 23 to seven. It's somewhere around there and it's halftime and Michigan doesn't know what happened. And all of a sudden it just continues on that track and, and Penn State ends up with the win. What, what are you sort of seeing, you know, and what you're expecting this game uh, to be? Not, not necessarily a final score, but how this game does sort of flow and how you think it will go. 
Uh, well, um, my advice to any you know betters would be don't take the over, you fools. Um, I, I just don't. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State shuts out Michigan on on Saturday. You know that 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 would not surprise me at all. But you know I do wonder if Penn State can score more than twenty four points against Michigan. Again, this is a this is a good defense, and you know rushing defense wise. Um, you know, if you just look at, at the numbers on the surface, maybe, you know, they're not ranked as highly as they have been in past years, but a big part of that too, is they play army, which runs every damn play. So, you know, passing numbers are a little bit lower than they should be. Rushing numbers are a little bit higher, but as a defense, Michigan is allowing less than three yards per carry. And, you know, again, I mean, this is still a talented defensive line and, you know, Penn State did, did, did great against Iowa, but it's going to have to have another great performance, um, you know, for this offense to be able to, for Penn State's offense to be able to move the ball. And I don't know, I guess on the flip side, I, I'm really looking at the, uh, uh, the interior of the Michigan um, offensive line. Uh, um, I'm trying to think, oh, yeah, I mean, they have, you know, an All-American candidate on the inside and, uh to me, it's kind of interesting because Iowa was the opposite. They had the great tackles, and the interior was was good, but it was the tackles that you really had to pay attention to. With Michigan, it's the exact opposite. It's the interior of the offensive line. Um, so, you know, you wonder if Penn State can just run, you know, the inside zone like they did in the past. It, imagine, you know, maybe in this game, uh, you know, you'll you'll need a, a Devin Ford or a Journey Brown to have that that long run. Maybe a game like this is you know, a little bit, um, you know, different in that respect. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to kind of convince myself here to, you know, pick Penn State by multiple scores. But it, it just, you know, with this, I, I could see this being a two-score game, I guess. You know, gun to my head, John, two-score game. But I'm still picking Penn State in this one, obviously. I, I mean, you know, the wideout is, you know, a, a huge thing. Really, wherever this game has been, home or away, you know, has, has given the uh, – the home team a clear advantage and yeah it's just uh it's one of the easily one of the marquee games Saturday I mean we had plenty to pick from last week you know there were lots of good games uh not really the case this week yeah it's a it's a pretty weak schedule this weekend uh and of course because of that college game day coming to University Park is going to be on the hub lawn uh this weekend but you know it'll be interesting to see what kind of atmosphere that also helps create drums up continues to drum up interest Although, I mean, a sellout was never in doubt for this game. They're going to go over the 107,000. They're probably going to break the 110,000 again and see, you know, just see how high that number can get. Uh, it is interesting, though. Uh, you know, the, the Michigan uh, offensive line is good enough to stop Penn State's defensive line. I just don't think it can hold up, you know, for 60 minutes. Uh, I don't think they're, uh, they're used to facing defensive lines that good. I don't think they've faced a defensive line that good. Uh, and – it, it's honestly a, a Penn State defensive line that in recent weeks has shown it's better than everybody. There's there's no stopping it, and I think that's going to play a huge role in this game. Uh, like I said, Penn State should win this one pretty handily. Uh, and then, then of course, you go to Michigan State after that, and then the, the uh, train really starts moving for Penn State, and you start to get to a position where, okay, Ohio going into Ohio State undefeated is probably going to happen, and then we'll see where things go from there. But Well, where things go from there. I mean, Rutgers is the week after, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> They go to 11-1 and one at, at the very least uh, after there. But, yeah, that, that Ohio State game continues to loom as, as the key matchup. Like you said last week, uh, if Penn State loses this game and beats Ohio State, they're probably still a playoff team. 
if they lose to Michigan State next week and beat Ohio State, they're still probably a playoff team. Uh, if they win both of those games and win every game but lose to Ohio State, they're not a playoff team. So what matters at the end? Going into Ohio State with one loss or less and getting the win in Columbus. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And we'll see if that happens. Uh, of course, you'd rather be undefeated. I mean, don't don't get it twisted any way. There's, I mean, this team wants to be undefeated going into Ohio State. But at the end of the day, it, it probably doesn't matter all too much, maybe for seeding purposes, uh, if they want to make the playoff. But, but yeah, this, this game is, is once again the, the marquee matchup. Uh, two years ago, obviously, game day was in State College for, for uh, the, the whiteout game against Michigan. Of course, it is again. I, like I said, I think that, that turns things in, in Penn State's favor here uh, for what ultimately should be one of those games that, that people can point back at and be like, yeah, this is where things really started to turn. We saw – you mentioned the Iowa's game that motivates everyone. Uh, then usually the game after that is the one where it turns on the field and you see guys – you know, if this is a blowout, I'm this could be I'm going to say it was already Iowa. Yeah. You I, know, that where everything turned, you know, and, and Michigan is just continuing. Like, you know, I get what you're saying. I just I, – I, I just don't think you can kind of overestimate how important that win was. And, I mean, certainly – it. I mean, the Iowa game doesn't mean as much if you lose the very next week. But, you know, I, I think this this showed a lot about the team that a lot of people, you know, including me, were, were kind of on the fence about in that it was like, well, you know, at this point, who have they played? You know, they can beat up on, you know, Buffalo and Idaho and, you know, Maryland. But, you know, when, when push comes to shove, how are they going to do when they're playing a, a top 25 team? And how about a top 25 team on the road? I mean – something that we're both aware of, but we haven't mentioned yet on this podcast, that was James Franklin's first road win against a ranked team since he got here. This is his sixth season coaching. I mean, that's a long time to go. Yeah, and albeit they, they only had, I believe, four or five of those matchups before this, uh, but they were all pretty crucial matchups, and they were all opportunities to get that win, and this has got to be, you know, pretty relieving for everyone involved. I'm sure he would never say it because he, he said he doesn't believe his signature wins. But I'm telling you, if you saw James Franklin, you know, after that game, running up, you know, running down the field, high-fiving fans, you know, jumping up to, you know, shake hands, you know, near the railing. I mean, that's about as excited as I've ever seen James Franklin. Um, and, uh, you know, at the press conference today, you know, there was certainly, it seemed like a bounce in a step. I mean, I think he's feeling pretty good. I think this team is feeling pretty good. And, you know, you just need to keep that going against Michigan. Yeah, I think uh, to go back to what you were saying about Iowa being the defining win, I think it's definitely the win that, that fans point to and say that's where the season turned. But I think Michigan is a chance to be the game that the playoff committee points to and says, look how good they did against this team. Why? They you stink. Know? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I mean, listen. I mean, you, I was, you know, like, you don't have to that Kinnick, you know, I mean, like, Penn State. Penn State's expected to win this game. You don't have to convince me that Michigan's bad. I've been harping on this all year, but they they still have a shot to finish. You know, nine and three uh, in all likelihood. A loss to Penn State. Well, so does Iowa, State. right? But they don't have the brand. <laughs> At oh. the end of the day, I think these brands matter more than anyone would like to let on. Uh, otherwise, you know, we wouldn't see Bama as rated as highly as they are to start the year every single year. Yeah, uh, well, they never lose. Well, part of that, and I understand that, but even if you look right now, I don't think anyone would argue that Bama is the best team in the country as things stand, uh, and they continue to get first-place votes because they're Bama, and then it's sort of this, until they're proven otherwise, they're going to be the number one team in the country. But I digress. That's a college football playoff discussion that is not worthy of, what is this, week seven, I believe we're now, or week, week, are we in week eight already? I think we're in week eight. Oh, wow. Time is flying on this season. Uh, do you, you know, is there anything that, that we missed with this Michigan Penn State matchup that you're looking forward to in particular? 
Well, let me think here. Uh, let's go through a QB, Shea Patterson. No, not looking forward to that. He stinks. <laughs> uh, running back, not a lot there for Michigan. Uh, wide receiver. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to break a play this game. I was going to say, is he uh, – is it Nico Collins that was, that was a little banged up last week? Uh, I believe – I know Tark Black has been banged up. Uh, Nico Collins, of course, their second leading receiver, 13 uh, receptions for 269 yards. Uh, no receptions last week. I would assume he was banged up. So I, I guess, you know, again, you know, going back to it, if there's one matchup, I guess, that I'm watching this week, it's the interior of Michigan State's offensive line against Robert Windsor and the interior of Penn State's defensive line. I think, you know, that's going to be the matchup to watch. And as far as Penn State, I mean, they're going against another solid defense. And, I mean, we saw what their passing offense did against Iowa. You know, Michigan and Iowa are pretty similar in regards to, you know, where their their secondary ranks on paper. So, you know, I, I certainly don't think this is this is the type of game that you, you know, want to necessarily put on the shoulders of Sean Clifford either. Um, you know, I think Clifford could be a game manager here. So, you know, I, I guess I'm looking at Penn State's backfield, um, you know, to see what they do this game. And it would be very odd, too, if we did not see a big play from Penn State's explosive offense this game after, you know, uh, you know, last week when, again, I think their longest play was the 22-yard Hamler touchdown, which usually not Penn State's MO. Usually it's live and die on the explosive play. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about that on Penn State's offense and on the flip side, interior of the defensive line. So, for me, you know, that's kind of what gets me up about this game. Yeah, uh, and, you know, to go back to Nico Collins real quick, he didn't play due to injury, neither did LeBert Hale, of course, one time, one time Penn State commit. Uh, uh, flipped to Michigan in the end. Uh, both of those guys didn't play last week. We'll see if they play, they'll play this week. Of course, uh, Jim Harbaugh was asked, asked about them yesterday and said, I tend not to comment on those. Uh, uh, yeah, but, but they're positive. positive. Yeah, I would say yeah. positive if I were to comment on it. It would be a positive comment. Yeah, so there was you a just long commented, pause, Jim. You know, there was a long pause like, yeah, yeah, I don't really talk about that. But if I would comment. Yeah, I mean, just say it. Like, it sounds like they're both trending positively. Clearly, uh, well, he, he did say that right after someone, some reporter asked them about another player, and he's like, "Yeah, he'll play." And then someone else asked about, you know, Nico, and I was like, "Well, I won't, I won't, I won't comment about that." And it's kind of like, okay, so you'll comment about the guy who's playing, yeah. and, you and then you know, he smiles. He's like, "But if I would," so I don't know. I'm sure there's some gamesmanship there, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this offense with Nico, without Nico, it's going to be the same Michigan offense. Uh, no running game. Shea Patterson, more inconsistent than Nate Stanley. Uh, yeah, not a lot you can hang your hat on if uh, you're Josh Gaddis or the Wolverines. Yeah, it should be a pretty brutal offensive game for Michigan, no matter who is on the field for them, unless they, you know, magically go out there and get Kyler Murray to come back for another year of eligibility. Or Mike Hart. I mean, yeah, know. just let's just go all over college football, find some players, Lee, and know. see if Josh Gaddis can still have a mediocre offense with those guys involved in this team. Uh, but yeah, barring Kyler Murray uh, having another year of eligibility and going to Michigan instead of Oklahoma, uh, I don't think we're going to see too much out of Michigan's offense this weekend. Uh, looks to be a pretty brutal game for the Wolverines and honestly uh, uh, should be a pretty easy win for Penn State. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree with that. I mean, you know, uh, you, you hate, to, hate to call it a pretty easy win when it's Michigan and they still have a great defense and a great coordinator with Don Brown, but I mean, it this is this is one of the few times where you look at Penn State versus Michigan and you wonder where where exactly at what position does Michigan have the advantage? Yeah, and I don't think there is one. And maybe offensive line. 
Yeah, and and even then, the the Penn State defensive line is probably better than. Well, the I Michigan. mean, like you know, Penn State's offensive yeah, no, line right. compared to Michigan. Like yeah. if you're if you're comparing them like that, like QB, Sean Clifford, I take him. I mean, who wouldn't take him over Patterson? Running back, again, I'd take Penn State's number four RB over Michigan's number one RB. Receiver, no contest. You know, tight end, no contest. Offensive line, maybe Michigan. Yeah, and that's it's sort of it's funny. You know, if you look at it that way. Uh, Absolutely, Penn State almost has the matchup across the board. And then if you look at it, the inverse of, you know, Penn State's defensive line against Michigan's offensive line, then it's literally every position where Penn State has an advantage. What if Penn State's offensive line versus Michigan's defensive line? Uh, yep, you know what? That's fair. Maybe so it's, a, it's, it's, it's probably a push there. I mean, listen, they I mean, they lost Jason really Williams, well. they lost Rashawn Gary. This defensive line isn't what it was last year. It wasn't, but, you know, Penn State's offensive line, I think, is, you know, really coming to its own the last two, three weeks. Uh, Michael you know, Mennett's been fantastic on the interior. Michael Mennett was the the he and Noah Kane were the the coaches player of players of the week and you know we have I, I keep wanting to say Sharif Miller I'm gonna say it once but Rashid Walker um you know the the red shirt freshman playing left tackle we haven't talked about him much this year which is a great thing because he he really held his own I mean you know he was going against uh, Epinesa yeah I'm I'm never going to pronounce that correctly um, AJ <laughs> Epinesa and you know really held his own against them and. And you look at the first drive of the game, Penn State allowed two sacks, and it's kind of against Iowa, and you're thinking, uh-oh, you know, here we go again. And, you know, part of that was Clifford hanging on to the ball too long and you know, kind of moving into the sacks. But after that, for the last 57 minutes against Iowa, which was the best defensive line Penn State had played to date, Penn State allowed a single sack. I mean, I think that speaks a lot as to, you know, how this – how this unit has improved in, in a short period of time. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, three weeks ago, if we, were, if we were doing advantage and everything, I would have given it to Michigan. Now I'd, I'd probably say that uh, that's a push. Yeah, and I think you're right in that it says a lot that we're not talking much about the Penn State offensive line anymore, which is a good pay- place to be if you're Penn State's offensive line. It's a unit that struggled over the years. Uh, and now seems to finally be rounding into a form and to be a, a high-level unit and no longer a, a flaw on this team. And if you get a good offensive line, your your offense can be good, uh, unless of course Josh Gaddis is calling those plays apparently. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that'll that'll do it for this week's episode of airing it out. Uh, you can find us as always on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, if you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a Sports Pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com/sportspodcast. That's center spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. Of course, follow us on Twitter at at by Josh Moyer for Josh and at John Sauber for me. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.